You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Um, friends, welcome back to a new series of Inverse. Um, Drew and I are really excited about this series and excited to be sharing it with people uh, live, joining us for the live recording. Um, and um, very special for me is that one of my oldest and dearest is our guest today. Um, I'm going to read a official bio so that um, my Australian casualness doesn't get in the way of showing proper respect. Christian, for those that don't know, um, is an artist known for his large-scale artworks in public spaces and traditional sculptures in the Trika Shaivism tradition. He graduated from Columbia University MFA program um, after studying in France and before that Curtin University here in Western Australia, that's right, um, and went on to receive training in ancient Indian art and architecture. His artworks have been exhibited, collected and commissioned internationally for the past 20 years, and he's been a recipient of several awards, including citizenship of uh, Citizen of the Year for his contribution to the visual arts in Australia. He's also one of my best mates. So, um, Christian, welcome to the show. For somebody on a spiritual path, you seem to not have any problem with uh, worldly success. So, you know, judge not, but um, we'll see if you can bring it back from that. How's that for an intro? Thank you. Thanks so much, Jared. I still worked in one kind of Aussie slag in the midst. (laughs) I'll I'll try and behave. Um, You've chosen a passage for us. Do you want to read that passage now before? uh... Yeah. Thank you for having me here too. Of course. And yeah, thank you all for hosting. I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. Yeah. So I should read my passage. That'd be great. Actually, I tried to memorize it, but I'll just read it. So it's, it's Exodus 25, 40. Perhaps you'll give context after I read it. Yeah, we, we can, can do some of that. Yeah, yeah. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Fantastic. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Thanks, mate. That's good. All right. Well, number one, I'm excited. Anytime I get to meet uh, one of Jared's friends, I'm excited to uh, have you and to be in dialogue with you and particularly to get to know some of your story. And one of the things that we love to explore is, um, you know, your own memories and encounters with the Bible. So I'm really interested, like, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? And are there any particular stories that are attached to that? Well, Jared and I both went to a high school, which was, which was um, religious. And, but I think the very first time was in kindergarten when I played Joseph for the school nativity play at the end of the year. <laughs> Here in Australia or in France? In Australia. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Kalgoorlie or? 
here in in greenwood wow yeah i think that that was the first time yeah yeah i was i was trying to find photographs i know there's photographs somewhere i was trying to find it for you but so, yeah a, so a little a little bit of australian context or west australian context um christian and i our year at school was the final year in west australian history that actually had scripture taught in public schools which will be surprising for um the us listeners that are like what was that ever a thing different kind of tradition and so yeah nativity plays used to be much more part of um and so I did one in year one as well. You did one. In, oh. I didn't have a major role. You had the potential, obviously, <laughs> at that early stage. Um, but yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that we went to a religious high school. Do you think well, any of our friends would describe it that way? Well, I would say religion featured as a part of it, but yeah, it, it would. It wasn't predominantly religious. Too. Yeah, you're right. It's true. Um, yeah. So but, we went to an Anglican school. Uh, for which um, we learned the Lord's Prayer, um, Hail School Prayer, which is actually they stole it from Ignatius of Viola. Really? Did you know that? I didn't know that, I didn't know that <laughs> until I was in my 20s. Um, uh, and uh, there was occasional chapel. Yeah. Um, and there was a hymn at assembly. Yes. Yeah. Every, yeah. every day. Every day there were hymns, weren't they? No, nah, just once a week at assembly. Week. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from those experiences, like be it um, primary school um, or again in high school, would you say that your experience of the Jewish Christian scriptures, were they something that was um, liberative or was that something that was oppressive? Like if it's a spectrum and you had to place it somewhere, okay, yeah. what, what end of the spectrum is it? I think, I think my feelings... I remember being in the nativity play and not really getting it and under, just like, I, I remember, still remember that feeling of like, okay, like this, this, so Jesus, he's my son, but he's not my son. Or that, <laughs> or that I remember that feeling of confusion a bit. And I remember asking, you know, knowing that, okay, my mom and my dad is my, they're my, they're my parents, so, but Jesus was not born that way. I, I don't, I don't get it that kind of feeling like so I think at that age even I was sort of dismissed it because I didn't really no one could explain it adequately I think that was right. perhaps like what was what went on and I just sort of you're like I've never this... seen a mixed family like this this is <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't say it was oppressive in any way I thought it was fun to do the nativity play I think I felt very bored by it uh by the hymns and the way I I think really it comes down to my own openness to to what was alive in in those uh, teachings, and I I wouldn't I guess I wouldn't judge it in terms of on that spectrum externally. I would I think about it more in terms of my own openness to the mm. to the wisdom that was present there, and I was definitely not open to it mm. <laughs> at that time. But yeah, I wouldn't, I didn't think it was oppressive and neither did I particularly feel like I was being, that I, I felt, I knew something was, was there, but I, I didn't really have access to it. I think that's, that's the feeling. This is so interesting for me because I know I guess well enough to keep digging, but I, um, 
Year 12 um, Perspectives is the exhibition that is on at the Art Gallery of Western Australia. And um, uh, we both had artworks yeah. in Perspectives, which was a big deal for both of us at the time. Yeah. This is um, uh, the cream of crop of um, your last year of high school. And if your artwork is selected, it's a big deal. And yeah. one of your paintings that got in um, uh was actually about religious oppression. So it, other it people was. would like let this slide through, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. this is a it's deep true. dive into, because yeah, yeah. I remember very clearly, um, and in part because of our, so one of my paintings in year 12, um, uh, actually I thought about bringing this around. Mm -hmm. I have drawings of um, uh, Kali dancing on um, Shiva, Shiva um, from year 12 that I did really? as part of, yeah, yeah, it's part of my visual diary, yeah. Um, uh, but I, one of my artworks was um, uh, the feet of Christ um, crucified. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the artwork? Well, of course, but do you want to kind of open that up? Because I think that's really interesting um, in terms of your yeah. evolution of yeah, relating I think to... I even did an interview at some point where they asked me about it. and yeah. At the same time, you know, like there was this narrative of sort of like a following, and then there was a figure that was there was it was two two uh, two images. One was the figure, and the other people were following. But now that I remember it, and I you know I reflect back on it, all of them had these bright lights too. They were carrying bright lights, hmm. um, but the image was kind of dark. In a way. I do remember now. Yeah. Um, there were the nuns. Were they nuns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other one was from New Norcia, right? From the trip that we took up there to the monastery. And it's from a perspective where you're um, you're looking up at a um, figure holding a crucifix, and then underneath were all the the nuns. So yeah, yeah. With my vast knowledge of of religions, I was definitely <laughs> at age sixteen in a position to critique. <laughs> But it is an interesting indicator of like um, how you were relating to at yeah. least, yeah. It was. It was an, indica an indication of, yeah, yeah, how I've, or perhaps how I felt when I went to Nicosia too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for what it's worth, um, Drew, I I dug it at the time, and it fit very well with me. Like that kind of critique, um, as somebody mm. who was seeking to take the Jesus tradition very seriously at that age, mm. I was like, yeah, I've got time for this mm. and what it's critiquing. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. In, I mean, we we're both listening to Rage Against the Machine at the time. As well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. So when you think back then about your own story and your own experience and how you're, you know, bringing even if it's proto critiques of, you know, the ways that religion gets, you know, used ideologically, right, for harm. Um, I'm curious about what from your own story and experience you bring now to like, when you read, if you were to come to a Bible text and read it, like mm. what what is in you already, right? That, that mm. you're bringing with you um, that's really important in terms of your engagement with, you know, sacred scriptures. Well, that's a huge question. I mean, it's really radical change and, and you know, it's, it's very, it's a huge question. And 
you know, Jared has also seen the transition and I've related to what I know to be so dear to Jared in, in very different ways throughout the time. You know, <laughs> we've known each other, you know, and perhaps I can even, you know, go back to this idea of the, my understanding of the virgin birth, you know, that's yeah. something, that, you know, I have a completely different idea of, you know, it might be accurate, it might be not, but of what, you know, I think that's about, you know, mm, yeah. there's also been the curiosity to take the time to attempt to understand that or to have intuitions about what that means. And um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say that <clears throat> the Bible was the gateway for me, but there was an, I went through another path and it opened up other faiths to me, including the Christian faith. And mm. I began to see <clears throat> through my own experience, the similarities between these traditions and Christianity really came alive for me. And what Jared was doing really like started to come alive for me. And I could I remember going to church with him once. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, just completely different. Yeah. It's just night and day. Uh, I think the first time um, you came to church with me, you were, I guess we were like 18. I think we were mm. first year university. Mm. And um, I mean, you were polite about it. Like, <laughs> but that, that experience at that age versus um, like five years ago or so and um, mm. what you were able to like uh, integrate and draw and be fed and your receptivity um, mm. Mm. Um, and the conversations. I guess a lot of people are listening to this going, okay, so <laughs> what happened in between? Like, <laughs> how, how do you go? I sometimes joke with Christian that um, can I share this publicly? What your religion? I don't know what you're going to share. <laughs> you could share it though. <laughs> what your religion was when we entered into art school versus <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Christian did Christian did very well very early. Like really, like you were selling paintings in high school. Yeah. Like um, your your sense of entrepreneurism and uh, the way that like Christian always had this. Um, it wasn't just a personal ethos he carried. There was a gravitas of, um, and I think, I, I wonder if it's the Italian name. I wonder if it's that you're <laughs> fluent in French. Uh, yeah, I wonder, like, uh, all, all this kind of stuff meant that coming into art school, and Christian initially wasn't at Curtin University where I was. Um, first week, you were absent because you uh, were accepted into the University of Western Australia. Yeah. And I remember you ringing me in a panic going, this isn't right. I think they're going to like push me in the direction of architecture. Like yeah. I, I want to be doing visual arts yeah. and Christian walked into art school, which is already full of prima donnas. Like we're all like 17, 18 years old. This is an introduction <laughs> to university and everybody um, uh, is like starting a punk band on the side and also considers themselves a poet. And also like, like we're art students, right? And Christian walks in and you were already like, wow like he is and it, it changed the dynamics of and we had a great group of people it, it was it was a great year and there were some really exciting um like people still talk about our year um now in terms of who it produced in terms of artists that was you capitalist christian and you went on a trajectory of mm. up and up and up and up and up 
like Thomas Merton talks about um, some people climb a ladder their whole life to only find it's up against the wrong wall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Talk about like that's reaching a, the wall. Good, yeah. That's a very good way to put it. Well, I, I understood there was a certain narrative of success and I followed that narrative and uh, it didn't get me to the place that I thought it would. Mm. Um, and I found myself with a lot of questions that couldn't be answered and with this sort of deep sense of dissatisfaction, I think, mm. within myself. And, and I just started to look in another direction. And then just that, that act just took me like in a completely other, mm. <laughs> completely other way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it, it came from a, just a deep dissatisfaction in a way, or, or just a, a feeling that like, that I had questions that couldn't be answered adequately. Mm. And also that uh, there was a sort of a, there was a sort of material success, but a lack of nourishment, like inner, inner like aliveness, mm. you know, in the yeah. way I was relating to the world, you know, mm. yeah. Um, and to other people. So yeah, I started to question things deeply and I just started to change gradually and I think really it started with it started with a sort of a purification of the body I think hmm. that was sort of the first step talk about the specifics yeah. of that because I don't know why it happened well I just read an article in, New, in the New York Times <laughs> one day and I was and it was about uh sugar and diet and I was like, okay and then I just started to change things one by one and then you know like I think what starts to happen uh, what started to happen for me anyways is as my body became cleaner i began to perceive things more clearly and to sense things more clearly and it just went on and on and on and you know i started to do yoga and then i was like okay wow this is incredible and that really that really opened the door to to that to that world and i it just sort of that was i don't know 15 years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago and then i i just followed i just mm. followed the golden thread that's all i did and and i whatever opened up that felt right and in a way that I felt was leading me towards truth. I just went in that direction. Mm. Yeah. So during my experience of this was um, Christian saying that sending messages going, Hey, let's make some time to Skype. Um, Cause you know, it's a decade ago when Skype was the thing. Right. And um, it was like, let's, let's discuss like one of the gospels. And I, I'm like, what like uh -huh. like okay cool like um but it was amazing like your hunger and your shift um yeah. Yeah. towards and your attitudes towards so many and um it's not like you didn't have brilliant people to ask questions of like well, you when know, you're at columbia i was gonna say yeah, your yeah. personal relationship yeah. with simon critchley yeah. who i've only just read in like books and also with with mark taylor i, I, oh, I did incredible. classes in the religion department i did an amazing class called nothing god freedom Huh. with mark taylor and i mean that was amazing amazing like up here yeah here I, it didn't i i wasn't that didn't do it for me it, um, it clarified so things you know but not in a for those who um are, are listening rather than watching this you said here and here and you pointed oh okay um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> head and heart yeah 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 um so i mean in a really profound way drew um Christian was like mixing it with the best of continental philosophy um, with some of the greatest philosophers um, and even religious thinkers. 
uh, in a field which like is steeped, like in terms of our art formation and training, um, that's what we're steeped in. Like that's it, like yeah. people talk yeah. about deconstruction in a religious space, but mm. like we had to read Foucault and Derrida and Rorty. Yeah. And, and if we didn't know this stuff, it was not only- You couldn't have the conversation. Can't you have yeah. the conversation, yeah. can't get the marks, but yeah. you're also not cool. Like- yeah. You, you, <laughs> you can't, yeah. 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 And that wasn't enough. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, I, yeah, I did feel the, the limitations of, of that. And just that there wasn't, that there were, there was a lot more. I felt, I had this feeling that was a lot more. And, um, and as I began to turn towards uh, the, the, the Indian traditions, I began to really uh, feel like there were, I was moving towards a space where I felt like I, I, I could, these were answers that were, beginning to satisfy mm. uh, and uh, it was it's not only the the intellectual aspect of it too I mean really it's it was the, the practice aspect mm. which is beyond the the thinking mind of course but um, yeah that's fascinating yeah yeah no that's that's really fascinating I was when you were first talking about um this journey, the capitalist journey. All I had in my mind was Jay-Z's, you know, his famous line, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business, I'm a business man. man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, but I'm yeah, it's really powerful to talk about and then breaking to this new journey that, you know, it sounds like as you said, it was um just looking for what was opening up and leading you towards truth right in the mm. most holistic sense not just in the head but in the mm. fullness of it in the embodiment of it the practice of it um and i think that's really beautiful and uh, i'd be interested to come back now to um that biblical text that you chose and kind of think about oh, yeah. as we've heard some of your story now like what is it as you kind of enter and lead us into a conversation on that text what are you seeing and sure, i'm yeah, always yeah. curious to see those connections between lived experience and then what draws us into particular texts yeah I'd, I'd love to talk about it when i read it i mean i read the the the, the, the 25 the whole that the, the chapter and then but at, right at the end there actually there's a couple of places in that 25 that uh, refer back to the uh the origin point of uh the the, the guidelines that moses is to follow mm. and then right at the end there is this that statement the see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain and this really just it just leaped out to me i was like wow there's so much there's so much in there and you know like i think one of the things too that i could say about my own personal practice with, with and personal you know, journey through, through art is that I've always been connected to creativity, but misunderstanding the, the, the source or miss also misrepresenting and misusing as well. And, uh, and also, I, I mean, what's been misidentifying. Yeah. Misidentifying yeah. With the source and, and okay. So just, if we just go back to this sentence, I was, I was thinking, okay, like he's not saying make, maybe we need, do we need to tell people like what, what the chapter is about uh, before, before we, we unpack No, you, you go there so, and we'll fill it in as we go. So he's not saying make them just however you please. <laughs> he's, and he's not saying make them according to what you're feeling this morning <laughs> or 
or to what make them according to what's fashionable mm. or make them according to the latest i don't know trends make them according to what you see in art form yeah see that you make them according to the pattern showing you on the mountain and i was reflecting okay like where what he's not saying what he's not saying is is various different things he's not saying make these just however you please or make these according to your own ideas or make these according to what's fashionable or make these according to how you feel this morning uh, you know what's in art form and, and or make these according to what's in you know the yeah. latest art magazine, the, the yeah. latest issue of art forum. So, I mean, this idea of a pattern and also like what's shown to him on the mountain. I mean, I I, re, I began to reflect on. So, in the art tradition that I've been been studying uh, after after studying the yoga tradition, the study of Kashmir Shaivism, I went on to study. Um, uh, Indian art history, and there is this notion in in this tradition of a that there is a specific um, <clears throat> there is a pattern through which the unmanifest becomes manifest. And while and we're not, I'm not talking about sort of a sacred geometry. It's it's sort of a it's an articulation of the specific mechanism through which the absolute becomes the relative. Hmm. And I thought that's in a way what's what he's what he's talking about here. I mean, they're talking about firstly, it's it's God, it's God speaking to Moses, saying, "Refer back to me when you're making this." Mm. And I was searching through, like trying to see, okay, is there a mention in another passage of a pattern? Um, and that's sort of perhaps implicit in the text. That that, that some, in, in any case, he's he's been given. He's telling, we're, we're being told that he's to make them according to, to a set of principles, pattern that is beyond the level of his own individuality. Mm. And I, yeah, I was, I thought, I just really, it just blew me away. I was like, yeah. And I know there's a number of probably parts, passages that, that refer to that, but. Help me out. Um, his name is eluding me at the moment. Um, sharks cut in half in formaldehyde. Oh, Damien skull. Hurst. Damien Hurst, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Damien Hurst radically for, and I mean, Hurst was one of our guys, right? Like we, we looked up to Hurst, like in art school. He's yeah. like, and certainly in terms of the, the mode that you were operating in, um, he is like, you know, a couple of decades on that same journey of reaching the heights. And one of the things that Damien Hurst did that like fascinates me um, is we were almost indoctrinated um, in postmodernism. And yeah, sure. so um, interests in absolutes like beauty were just completely abandoned. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, and Damien Hurst went from um you know, being one of the most successful artists in the world who could literally do anything he wants and people fork out millions for every artwork to painting. Yeah, it's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the paintings were, I mean, good according to like most standards, but in terms of like international art, they're all right, but it was a real risk. Like he risked real incredible vulnerability hmm. and actually instead of churning out 
what um, galleries, private collectors, museums, um, big corporations want to buy and have on show, um, these explorations of beauty. Mm. Um, it, it was so brave and so punk rock. And in a very real sense, your practice of actually learning ancient traditions is probably the most punk rock. <laughs> like, um, it, it's like when Green Day wrote Time of the, Our Life and everybody was like, that song's so slow, it's not even a punk song. And they're like, that's why it's punk, because everybody expects this from us. And that's kind of what you did in terms of like, it's not that you've abandoned your career. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's bringing this, can you talk a little bit sure, yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it really came from my direct experience with, with, the, with the yoga tradition. And as I went deeper and deeper uh, into that, in that direction, not only was uh, my, you know, my body and my mind and everything being transformed in, in the process of really going very deep into the practice of yoga and meditation, but also the, my understanding of creativity and the source of creativity began to change. And there were kind of two questions that were operating and that are still operating. Uh, the first question is, what role does art play in the process of liberation? And that, mm. I mean, every day I ask myself that question. The second question is, how can I be of service? And those are the two questions that just have kept, kept guiding me. And mm. they've just, so it's been an exploration of, of the yoga tradition, specifically the tr tradition of, of Kashmir Shaivism. And as I got deeper and deeper into that tradition and all its it's, it's like very Baroque in aesthetically Baroque <laughs> in terms of the deity forms and the explanations of the cosmology and all that. And so I was very much drawn to that as, you know, being drawn to being, being an artist and being interested in that. I was drawn to the visual forms that were related to the tradition. As I got deeper and deeper into that, I was beginning to understand that, okay, there are these visual forms. How are they to be represented? And that drew me into a sort of tangential uh, or a, a parallel tradition, which mm. is the art and architecture of in ancient Indian art and architecture, which has its own set of principles and cosmology. Cosmology and the fundamental principles are very much aligned. Um, Kashmir Shaivism doesn't teach you how to make artwork, but the Mayonic tradition, mm. uh, which, which I've del delved into to, to learn these principles, um, uh, it, it does. In, in some ways, the, the tradition of Kashmir Shaivism addresses the, 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 the process of inward movement towards the absolute. And the Maonic tradition addresses the, the outward flowing creative current, which is required to produce, create things in the world. And, and just like is said in this passage from the Bible, there is a pattern. There's a pattern. And, and this pattern uh, is... Uh, it, this pattern guides all the arts, all the arts of India. And um, so, so I began to, I mean, it, it required a process of uh, surrender mm. because it means to do this properly. <laughs> it meant putting all my preconceptions and preferences aside. And that's, 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 that's the starting point. It's also pretty that's, threatening. Like, it's threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's threatening because constantly want to assert what we think we should be doing. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, uh, that, but 
That's and not the and end. just for context, Drew, like Christian's at a point in his career, like, can I embarrass you a bit? Is that <laughs> so like Spanda, which stands eight stories high? Yeah. A, a sculpture in our city. Um, so the public figures that were discussed and how much that cost to manufacture the artwork, do you mind mentioning yeah. that? It's a $1.5 million project. Yeah. So th this is an artwork in our city, in the centre of our city, that shows up on tourist, like, cards and everything now that is Christians. Um, and uh, this work isn't unique. We could talk about um, works on main in mainland China. We could talk, like, the, internationally you have mm. these works now. And to go from um, these works that... Um, just in manufacturing them um, and the architecture involved in artwork on that scale um, that we're talking millions of dollars to produce your artwork and then to go, ah, I'm just going to um, hang out in the mountains um, in uh, Bangladesh and um, uh, learn in Northern India, these ancient, that's- These commissions allowed that freedom to do that, which has been amazing. You know, it allowed that time. But Drew, that's what I mean in terms of, this is punk rock. Like, this is like, um, you're, um, it, it's being like Michel Duchamp and going, I'm going to play chess, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, it's like, uh, uh, I'm out. Like, the art world thinks that, like, I love I'm art. at the top. I definitely haven't abandoned art, what, but, but I love it very, very neither much. Neither did Duchamp. Yeah, yeah. Neither did, like, he, his practice was now in private. And even when he exhibited, you know, with the, um, excuse everybody who's listening to Inverse for the first time, um, like we don't always go so deep in like fine art uh, analogies, but um, excuse us just a, a little bit um, this episode. Like even his artwork um, where you're staring through the peak hole that mm. was his work after mm. yeah, he came yeah, yeah. out of, um, it was still about desire and beauty mm. and um, yeah, aesthetics and um, it's, it's phenomenal and how it involves you. Like um, the, it, it was it was more Dada than Dada. And yet it had this like desire for beauty. Mm. And mm. both of us in like different ways um, have like, we're like real art is life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the most, the most magnificent work of art is to perfect and create a masterpiece of your own life isn't it mm. I mean, yeah there's nothing that could have taken me away from the act of creating i think as just born to to do that and couldn't stop if i tried that's what i realized before i got the spanda project is that i tried in a way to stop mm. by pulling back a bit from the world for at least a year i lived in the ash in, in the forest and but i got pulled back and I'm very grateful for it and hmm. took me in a whole new direction. But I definitely for a while needed that time. Drew, I have so many questions, but I'm also wearing my excitement. I don't want to um, just keep going. Is there things on top for you um, before I no, launch I, it? You know, one of the things I was, well, number one, there's a couple of things I was thinking about, but um, 
But first was, I was like, I'm loving getting to see Jared's inner artist come out. So that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's, you know, clearly we've been stifling too much here on inverse podcast. We'll have to find ways to allow that. Um, Cause the joy um, just from you, from this conversation is, is a lot of fun. Um, I was also thinking a little bit, um, Christian mentioned, you know, just the process of, well, I forget how you phrased it, Christian, but something about art and how it's relation to the process of liberation, I think is what you yeah. said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be yeah. curious to hear you say more. And it's interesting, like, I, I am not as steeped in some of these conversations around art. I mean, I enjoy art probably more as just a casual enjoy of things that are beautiful and provocative sure, yeah. and, you know, get my mind going. But I do know here, um, it's interesting sometimes in the U.S., the different approaches people have to art. And it seems, maybe this is unfair, somebody can push back, I'm sorry, on social media, someone will push back, but it seems that mainstream American, white American approaches sometimes thinks of art as apolitical. Mm. Um, And certainly in the black American artistic tradition, it is inherently sociopolitical, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Precisely because of its uh, relationship. It's always caught up in these struggles, um, in these pursuits, these desires for freedom, these desires for justice for mm-hmm. um, those that have their backs against the wall. So I'd love to hear a little bit more around you kind of just framing how you think about yeah. arts in this process of liberation. Okay, yeah, first first up, I- th- I'll Hold that, I'll, I'll embarrass Christian again. Drew, um, Christian, one of his early influences, particularly in high school when it came to painting, was somebody coming out of um, the African-American tradition who kind of summarizes. So in terms of um, Basquiat and Mm -hmm. his impact on how you painted, I mean, you introduced me to Basquiat. Um, That's why I went to New York. I went to New York because of yeah, uh, like, and um, in terms of Basquiat and his relationship with Andy Warhol and how um, he was um, fetishized in the art scene as like a young African-American artist and the things that he tried to um, uh, rebel against, like there, there's some interesting examples of um, things that we were introduced to um, that the, the impact of their context um, and why it was so potent might not have been as evident to us. Mm, um, sure, but yeah. ba- back to what you were saying in terms mm-hmm. of liberation, in terms of Drew's question. Yeah, yeah. I, there's so much in Drew's question. It's like we could spend the, the whole night talking about it. It's, it's really great. The liberation, I believe we may be talking about different things, which is, I mean, there's a couple mm. of things. There's liberation. Okay. Yeah. What is liberation? Do we understand right. that? Term? Do we, are we yeah, speaking yeah, about yeah. the same thing? Is also like art. Are we talking about the artist? Or are we talking about the perceiver? Because mm. it, it operates in different levels. You know, yeah. the, I mean, liberation if, as freedom uh, from oppression, that's one thing. And another form of liberation that, that I'm referring to is the, the uh, is, yeah, is, is in, enlightenment, yeah. in the Eastern yeah. tradition of enlightenment, which yep. has it's a different, um, uh, different perspective. But so that that's what I'm referring to. It's, it's, oh, would you, uh, could it be argued that those two things are interconnected, right? Um, one's own inner liberation and the kind of humanity that comes out of that with the kind of, yep. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I'm stretching. Yes and no. Yeah, you know where you know where Drew and I are coming from. Yes and no. Yes and, my, my answer is yes and no. But you can because you can be oppressed. 
you can be liberated at the same time you can be being oppressed. Sure. Right. And I think so liberation theologians like, say the same thing. Mm. Um, you know, James Cone, I mean, that's almost quote for quote for how he thinks about, you know, liberation in terms of the oppressed and mm. the liberated state, even mm. as one is seeking liberation from socio-political oppression, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus he would say the exact opposite, which is that oppressors, those who are engaging in socio-political oppression are actually captive. They're not liberated, but they don't understand liberation because they see themselves as liberated people. So it's in reverse. Right. Yeah. I think that the perspective that I was referring to is an inside job. Yeah. Purely. Mm. Right. Purely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I understand all the other circumstances, you know, can, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Shaivism is interesting in terms of the, um, uh, so the term we're not using because it is a colonial term um, is Hinduism, which um, isn't how, um, what's the, what's the term that's used? Um, it, it's what well, outsiders have designated something it's, that doesn't yeah, actually. It's an umbrella term for like a vast. Yeah, that's yeah, for, yeah, I mean, it's just. What, what could be a continent if maps sense. were drawn yeah. differently. Yeah, that's so right. Many different um, perspectives. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate that you take the tradition so seriously and with no interest in like cheap appropriation, but actually like immersion that yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, won't that's... refer to those terms at all. But in terms of um, Shaivism mm -hmm. as um, you've taught me and mm -hmm. I've since read um, because of all your recommendations. And um, it is interesting in that um, it is body affirming, unlike yeah. some other major um, uh, yeah. Indian traditions, which um, see the body as um, merely a well, part of Maya, right? Like part of the illusion, part yeah, of what yeah, we're... Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, Would you talk a little to like yeah. a tradition that sees the body as, and I guess the term that most people might know something of, but a cheap and westernized, commercialized, um, and fetishized in terms of um, how people think about tantric? Yeah, and oh, yeah, yeah, it's a very problematic term. Tantric. Yeah. Sorry, I try, I try to not use that, but um, the body is the instrument through which liberation is takes place from from the point of view from this tradition and uh, theref the, therefore you you don't you don't disregard or throw away the instrument because that's 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 the vehicle to god hmm. um to it to it to understanding and and uh and to experiencing god um the difference that you're articulating is the difference between the renunciate and the householder traditions and i mean historically in india uh, and or throughout the world, it, this it's been a pervading uh, understanding that enlightenment means renouncing the world. Mm. And I mean, there are various different historical reasons why that understanding has taken hold and and uh, so so firmly. But it does disregard a a, a vast uh, history of traditions that are uh, affirming the body and affirming. Um, the possibility of enlightenment in this world uh, without, uh, which is a very different, I mean, it's a very different approach. And in fact, most people are more uh, inclined towards the householder approach to spirituality. A very few are, would be inclined to uh, the, the, the renunciate path, mm. uh, which, which is a valid path, of course. Um, however, it's, it's the majority of people would, would be 
uh, more suited to to the approach of of, uh, of a householder tradition. So it's a very different it's very different view, the very different practice, and a very different fruit. Mm. So that the 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 view the cosmological view of uh, okay where where you're going is very different. The the practices that you would engage in in order to attain and and realize that truth are very different, and the result is very different. So Kashmir Shaivism can be kind of summarized by the triangle. It's very much about the states of consciousness. Mm. You have waking, dreaming, sleeping in the three mm. points of the triangle. And yet there is a transcendental fourth and the transcendental fourth is the support for all of them. Mm. And the idea essentially is that you, you abide and act from that transcendental fourth. And it's not about uh, suppressing the, the wave of your individuality, but it's about realizing simultaneously the wave and the oceanic connectedness to that wave that you mm. are. So it's really, it's about being, it's about actively bringing the fourth state into the world. Um, so. Drew, you, yeah, you can see why um, Christian and I ends up, end up talking about David Bentley Hart a lot. Um, that, that kind of um, uh, being consciousness bliss and the connections between um, uh, how almost uh, Neoplatonism can be a bridge between the traditions to kind of mm. understand, um, and and even the um, uh, sephiric um, considerations of um, uh, Beardyev and some of the orthodox um, theologians who are exploring um, uh, Trinitarian thought in the orthodox tradition and how it so closely parallels many aspects of um i mean it, like Kashmir, yeah 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 it's almost like yeah, a trinity um yeah. without um the trika means trinity yeah literally it literally like, means trinity. yeah yeah um uh, without the yeah. I have so many. Qu Drew, do you mind I if I to go, go on to Drew's question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, do that. Do that. About the um, <laughs> yeah, I I haven't really. I think we've gone on different tangents. So, but I, I yeah. do really want to this idea of the the liberative capacity of art to yeah yeah. And I was thinking about the distinction this that I articulated before between the perceiver and the doer. And um, okay, so yeah, I just wanted to come back to that because. From the perspective of Abhinava Gupta, who, who sort of synthesized mm. the tradition of Kashmir Shaivism, the aesthetic experience uh, has the capacity to open you to an experience of God. Mm. And um, that's very significant in his theory uh, and from the, from the perspective of that tradition, that, that beauty and art ha has that potential to, to open the viewer to the place of the eternal from, from where the, the artist draws it, her inspiration. Mm. And so art and, and the appreciation of beauty and the aesthetic experience is extremely significant in that way. And, you know, we've all had those experiences of, of, of um, you know, being in front of amazing artwork or in a beautiful sunset or just uh, where just time stands still. And, the idea is that that's just a glimpse 
and that 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 the reality of that the eternal that you experience in that moment is to be fully realized mm. yeah so but then there are also um so that's the perspective of the viewer and then there's the perspective of the art maker which is also complete which is different and mm, that's yeah, like yeah. what i've been exploring in in terms of what i was uh, saying about the indian art tradition and there are many forms of, of sacred art uh, in, in all the traditions all the religious mm. traditions have some kind of process through which the the sacred patterns of that tradition are, are visualized and, and accessible so the issue is i mean and this the idea of conforming to a tradition is like what you said it's confronting mm. Um, the thing that I guess I could speak specifically to the tradition of Indian art and architecture that I've been uh, learning and which is based on a revelation of a Rishi. I don't know if you know this term Rishi, it's a seer, basically mm. a, a seer, someone who's, who's uh, seen reality as mm -hmm. it is an enlightened being, great enlightened being. And uh, these texts that, that I follow to make the artworks there their uh, revelations mm. and you know at, we have to it's a question of having the humility to 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 realize well this person was really in state far far beyond me and mm. yet he has left a trace of what he saw and there's a path to follow and principles to follow and there's also a history of artworks uh, and it's it, the tradition and the the creative outcomes of the tradition have been tried and tested throughout time, mm. and we can see we can see that that it's worked. So <laughs> um, there's wisdom there that's worth following. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, I think the liberative potential of the artwork is there insofar as it has to do with the state of consciousness of the artist and what the artist brings to the work, the state of awareness. The, mm. I mean, because when we interact with the work of art, we're interacting with what's being manifest from inside mm. the artist. And, and that's why I think it's a great, it's, it's a big responsibility to, to be an artist. That's also what I've realized is that just putting things out there I mean, for people to contemplate is a, is a responsibility. And there is this sort of innate drive, I think, for all artists to just make things. And the thing is that uh, whatever is reflected in the mirror of our own awareness becomes manifest. And uh, I've realized that the, really the responsible and, and the highest thing to do is to polish that mirror so mm. you know, the pure light is reflected. And that, that's how I see my responsibility wow. as an artist. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a constant process of, of trying to refine that and uh, of refinement in, in all different ways. Um, but yeah, it's not a question that we really ask that we that we're it's not a dialogue that we ever had at art school for example but, <laughs> you know what i mean it, it, it's, yeah, not, totally. it's not something that no it, it, it would have been it wasn't relevant it would have been laughed at yeah it's yeah, like um yeah. the meta narrative you're pushing forward christian is oppressive and um it's yeah, or, uh, it, it's 
actually tearing well, down Well, it's a threat all... to my individuality. Yeah. It, and it is. Yeah. yeah. Like, actually. And it, it actually is. <laughs> yeah. And it means the complete dissolution. But it's also a threat of... to, um, uh, and people listening who might not be in the visual arts, but um, whether they be musicians, playwrights, creatives um, in whatever field, just um, what, what it is to be creative um, as a um, teacher or assistant with somebody with disabilities or whatever, that um, so much of art isn't actually about attentiveness to that creativity of what it is to be human and actually participate in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in life. It's instead about um, celebrity culture, um, spectacle, uh, um, drumming up a crowd, yeah, um, yeah, being it. able to, to whip something up. And so we were all taught that um, inadvertently that, you know, whether it's Picasso or Warhol or Dali, like you look at who was like handed to us as um, the masters before mm. um, the great, like, postmodern truth arrived like um and i mean don't hear me like postmodernism has um much to give in terms of actually questioning meta narratives questioning power i'm, I'm not um uh, saying that those things but you, you look at just those three that i was handed we we're talking about basquiat's relationship with warhol Oh, Warhol's relationship with Basquiat, incredibly problematic, mm -hmm. exploitative, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, like fetishizing, um, uh, yes, giving him opportunities, but also ripping so much off him at the same time. Um, we talk about um, Picasso and how he related to women. Like um, we talk about the politics of Dali, who like talked about his um, uh, like fixation with Hitler and his friendliness with fascists because they bought his works. And yes. suddenly we start to realise that um, so much of the artists that uh, were those large, like that's the generation before there was the, um, the, there's nothing new in Hollywood. We talk about now that why you, you have to do it in another Avengers film. Yeah, and yeah, a similar yeah. thing happens I mean, in art that like so much is like you joke about art culture because the only thing that will give art its validity is actually a market um, that will literally put a price on it. And then are you getting the, and is that what the arts are about? Like, is that, is that well, what that's the thing? Us? How long has this happened? So, so short. This, this idea of art as being about this, what you've just articulated, you know, this, this history that you're talking about and these characters that you're talking about, great artists, but this paradigm is, is just a blip. And what was before that? How did we, how, what was the creative act before that? For how long, for how many thousands of years did, did life revolve around the sacred and did art support that life which revolved around the sacred? You know, like, hmm. and, you know, so in that sense, it's, it's like, how have we forgotten that? How's that been forgotten? Hmm. I mean, there's so many like questions in that. And so many, I mean, it has not only to do with art, but, but, uh, I mean, it's 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 a complex, complex question, but but um, and art does have the potential to return to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So we make a good. conscious decision to do so. You know, it's, yeah. And art can point in the direction of that. Mm. I mean, I remember I, my first experience with art when I was seven years old was seeing. Uh, 
uh, Eve Klein, hmm. an Eve Klein exhibition uh, in the south of France. My parents took us seven years old. And that was, that really like, that was the moment I just knew that this is what I'm doing. Wow. And, you know, deeply metaphysical, his work as well, mm. like the, and religious. I mean, mm. he's very spiritual in his own way. I've been mm. looking at it again recently and, and thinking like, yeah, I saw something, not only art, but there was also an access to something very deep, deeper that he was searching for that I could have access to. And, you know, that I realized that that's, that's been carried through actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, art is so powerful mm. and we're dealing with, because we're, we're dealing with the creative, we, the creative potency of the universe itself, mm. you know, and that's what you see in artists. You see yeah. great artists and they're conduits for that. And, yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why I was talking about, like, it's a great responsibility to that, that you give access to, to that force, which is, which is, um, and, but in us or artists also, you dance with that force. That's why artists burn out. That's yeah. why, I mean, that's, you know, you, you, we, we all know like this, the notorious, um, you know, the tragedies of various different artists and musicians and, you know, what, what's yeah. happened to them because they dance too close to the flame. Mm. And um, you have to learn. That's something also that I've understood is that, you have to learn the process of making art is also a process of understanding the nature of creativity itself. And mm. that's, that's a, that's a long process to know how it, how it works through you, how it wants to work through you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which, in a, a re- sorry, Jerry. No, no, no. Now you go. In a really lovely way, brings us back to, the context of the text um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, christian and i were joking drew that um that like 25 is where a lot of people if they're reading through the bible that they'll go okay like the mythological like scope of genesis is like wow the first half of exodus like literally up to chapter 24 is like like i mean it's a ripping story right and then you, you get to Hard work comes. yeah then you get to this bit and it's like what like is this is this a different director and most biblical scholars actually think it is so they, they talk about the um uh the p what the priestly, priestly and deuteromistic and yeah, yeah. Like um okay, so okay. this is literally most scholars think that um uh, these texts were compiled um from different communities uh-huh. and um uh-huh. the junction from all the stuff that was in disney's prince of egypt um <laughs> it doesn't include any of this stuff because it just gets really like it, it's but does a whole it get bunch too of, technical yeah it's yeah. a whole bunch of chapters yeah, yeah, yeah. about like okay. this yeah. color and uh, like this kind of measurements and this I know, kind of amazing. I thought, wow, and, so specific. Yeah, like and this go- it goes on for chapters, yeah. right? Like, and it's pretty it's much right. like um, so. There's covenant, and God's people are actually obedient and go, yeah, we'll do it. And there's, there's a little exciting bit which they think has been introduced again, which is like around what the 32 or so, and it's the golden calf, which is uh-huh, fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. there's this introduction of a narrative which is about. Um, what it is to create objects that mm. actually limit a God who refuses to be named. This is an interesting question. I don't know if we have time. That's a massive question. Though. The, the question of idol worship. Well, yeah. Like, and um, uh, the, 
so I mean, the tech, the text track. is uh, <laughs> alive, and that like each text has a fresh reading, mm. and there's multiple readings every time. And um, yeah. uh, those of us schooled in Derrida would say. Uh, amen. But also those of us who are actually schooled in like the Jewish and Christian tradition would also say that's how th these texts operate. Mm -hmm. uh, but the um, the broad brushstrokes of the story that can't be missed. And actually in chapter 29, um, there's an insert, which <laughs> it's almost like the editors are going, hey, I know we've gone through all the specifics of like um, how to build like the um, Holy of Holies and everything. But 29 actually goes... Uh, don't forget this, it, it reads, um, I will consecrate the tent of meeting, which is the place of um, yes. uh, that they're the being told to, yeah, yeah. Um, and the altar will be consecrated, uh, will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Mm. Um, some Jewish commentaries add there from the 18th century, I will dwell in the Israelites. Not among, but within in, them. Within them. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, which is, you know, interesting rabbinical footnote. Um, mm. uh, they will uh, will know that I am um, the the Lord, which is the unspeakable name of God, the Tetragrammaton, which is usually just capitals in English. Their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the unspeakable name. Their God. Mm. Um, so it's this interesting insert where it's like. Hey, 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 importance of the arts, like, yes, beauty, yes, all this, but who's coming to dwell with you is the one who hears the cries. Uh, yes, creator, but also liberator. And liberation um, in this story is um, uh, those who are free from Pharaoh and his rule. Okay, yeah, he's talking about literal. He, yeah, th yeah, this is the, and so this is why for Drew and I, when we're like, yeah, both, right? Like um, mm. uh, that, this tradition for us demands um, that we can't separate it from real people's cries. Because yeah. in fact, the, the story starts with, um, and I know like theologically because of, you know, the influence of, um, uh, you know, the Platonic tradition in Christianity early, it became a way to communicate. And so, you know, all the omnis, the uh, omniscient, mm -hmm. omnipotent, um, like, um, and yet this story actually, how it works is that um, God doesn't seem to be the first mover. Actually, the people crying out are. Uh -huh. And there's something, Brueggemann talks about, um, a biblical scholar um, who um, Drew and I love, talks about how this God seems to be a magnet for the cries of the oppressed. Mm. And God responds to cries. So all that stuff in the Prince of Egypt about like like people being freed from oppression mm. is not separate from build this place where that God can come and be amongst mm. you. Mm. And that like, it's in like, and in fact, the, the wrestle of these traditions, bringing the text together, keep inserting bits like that. Don't mm. forget. Uh, I'm the one with um, a, a, um, a, a strong hand and an outstretched arm um, that, um, delivered you from Egypt. So the, yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. I, I was reading it purely from the perspective of Moses, the creator, and, and thinking, okay, we're talking here about the source of, cre of, of where he's to, how he is to guide the process of his own creativity. Hmm. 
but obviously there's a lot more going on there. Well, I don't know, you're able to articulate the wider context that I'm, I'm not completely aware of. of the, yeah. Drew, how do you think I do with my summary? It, it's certainly yeah. not less than everything that is captivating you. Yeah. Right. Um, it's but both, it's both of those yeah. things are that, mm. so, I mean, it is, there's some, I mean, I loved, you know, bringing in, you know, Exodus 25, for, I mean, this idea of the seeing and then the making, right? That creative mm. yeah. act that comes from divine inspiration and revelation, right? Um, and so there is that, but that that God is always the God who delivers um, the Israelites from Egypt. That's the reoccurring remember that. So even yeah. in the details of ordinary life, even in the creativity of life, even in all like that, those two things are always hooked together. Um, the inner liberation yeah. and the external liberation that, that needs mm. to happen are, are, I was thinking as you were talking earlier, I was thinking about, you know, you know, like Howard Thurman, you know, I mm. mean, he's maybe right at that intersection of what you were thinking of Christian. And then where I was kind of going mm -hmm. is this deep, deep inner connected to the, and aware of the cosmos, right. And, mm -hmm. um, and being attuned to it. And also then, seeing its implications for those who, you know, um, are disproportionately suffering in our society today. Yeah. Mm. And the tradition that Drew, um, uh, like, embodies and uh, is a part of, and I, I seek to simply learn from, mm. is the perfect combination. So for Thurman, who was a mentor for um, Martin Luther King and this mystic and theologian who kind of provided a lot of the spiritual resources for those on the front line mm. of the freedom movement or the mm -hmm. civil rights movement. Mm. Um, I think I think you'd love. Mm. There's your Christmas present. I know what to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely love Thurman. I'd like to ask you about the passage uh, about this notion of the mountain. Am I going too far to presume that this is a mystical experience that, that Moses had, which didn't necessarily take place at a geographical spot, or mm. is that not, did, was there? Drew, do you want to go first or would you yeah, like me to? Also, also, second question, this is a separate instance upon the mountain. Uh, so he received the commandments. This is not the same time, is it? Mm -mm. No. Yeah. Okay. So are we asking how, what what is the story saying or we have so because i mean i think i, I mean, guess there's, is it there's the story and then there's interpretation of the right, story. right 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 yeah. so yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's the chat so i mean i think that the story would suggest that the mountain actually is a very important place right in the narrative yes. of the story representing god's moses's you know direct presence with god um yeah. i think yeah. that how one reads the story now again and that gets to jared's mm. point there's just so many a multiplicity of interpretations right and so mm. yeah. um i don't think one has to stay there at that level i think one can think about it um mm -hmm. in terms of a more you know whatever you want to call it allegory or whatever you want to mm -hmm. name it but uh i think that all of those are meaningful ways of engaging and thinking about it. and i i think that was the power of what you brought to the text is um because that it, it, it invites us into then thinking, reflecting about, right, our own ways of 
going up that mountain, which is in some mm-hmm. ways, even though all, not all Christians um, explicitly name the fact that they engage multiple different kinds of readings, we do it all the time. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that language of going up the mountain um, has been used in a variety of ways to precisely talk about that consciousness and awareness inspiration from God mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how that then drives, in this case, creativity, right? But it could be other things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for, for Drew and I, this is the, um, to return it to the story, um, the mountain that's been talked about in terms of Sinai and mm. even which Sinai encounters, mm. um, it, it's encounters with the one that has led them out of the economics of exploitation that they were under as slaves in Egypt. Uh-huh. And so um, what the mystical experience itself and the, so um, even the Ten Commandments, which if people have memorized, what they usually leave off is the preamble, which is the most right. important bit, which mm-hmm. is like, here's 10 ways not to be like what you just came out of. Right. Anti-imperial. So it's like, here's how you be free and stay free. So what your tradition and our tradition share in common is that um, uh, liberation is now and eternity and in fact eternity is now and for eternity Um, and it's how do we not go back to the flesh pots of Egypt which we long for because everybody wants that like fast food sludge which was poisoning us and it was promised and it gave us enough energy to build bricks Um, so there's this weird connection that um, the people in slavery were involved in a creative pursuit um, not of their choosing. It, it's like the, some of the first recorded episodes of like sweatshop labor, mm. where the, literally they're in the business of building bricks for an empire um, that are building um, buildings to impress others and tower over others. Mm. And then this God of creation messes with the whole thing um, and almost like culture jams all the way they think about like, so whether it's the plagues or the river running red, all that kind of stuff has all these meanings that mess with their system and their hierarchy Mm -hmm. and the mythology and cosmology, which like animate their hierarchy um, and justify it. And these specific instructions to um, build the temple, it's almost um, uh, that one that can't be named the I am that I am, which literally is, I am that I was, or I was that I am, or I will be that I was. Like you can, depending, because the Hebrew is written in such a way that it's just the vowels, not the consonants. The meaning Mm -hmm. is open. Mm -hmm. And it's like God refuses to be defined by what we call God. And it's why for Jews, it's um, uh, like they often refer to the Hashem, which means the name out of respect or um, Christians in their scripture will just write Lord in capital. Mm-hmm. It's trying to capture something that should remind us we don't know what we're Names. talking about. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's interesting about Sinai as like an archetype. Mm-hmm. It's this humble little mountain. Mm. It's nothing yeah. impressive. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, and there's something about the humility. Um, so in rabbinic traditions that talk about the humility of this uh, encounter mm-hmm. and also the humility of Moses Mm. and there's something about the humility and openness Mm. and the plan for um, that they're given is that actually 
um, this unspeakable name is calling out of them participation in creating a space where the God of freedom can come and dwell amongst them and people be free. So it's, it's like help so build a space that is the anti-Egypt. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, they're moving. And in a really weird sense, um, the story, um, it's not the promised land, which is the goal. Mm. It's actually worship. Yeah. It's free worship mm. of the free God or um, liberated worship of the liberating God. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Is that mystical? We would say yes. Like, mm -hmm. is it deeply personal and intimate? Mm -hmm. We would say yes. Um, but is it a socio-political reality in terms of the story? Unquestionably. Yeah, in fact, yeah. you might have to say that bit first. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. yeah it, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's an independence. That they're, they're forming an independence. Of, yeah. Uh, their ability to connect with, with God, right? It, um, some scholars talk about a, a return to creation. Mm. So it's actually in, in the desert, um, it, they're weaning off everything the empire provided at the cost of others to find a life together where everybody is. And that's what Sabbath is about. Mm. Um, God makes a deal with a people who were oppressed that they can be a sign of freedom, that everybody will one day share in that freedom. Mm. Interesting, the, the significance of the space that's being built. Huh. You think that it's, it, they're in the desert, and that this is like the this is the uh, caravan. Yeah, it's basically like a <laughs> right. yeah. mobile, yeah, yeah, mobile, mobile home. Yeah, basically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's made of gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Drew, you can tell that we could go on all night, right? I know, like I know, we... I know. This has been good. This has been really good. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed, again, just seeing you two interact um, um, is fun in and of itself, but, um, but the conversation has <laughs> definitely been rich. Um, I've loved this, mate. I've loved it too. Thank you so much for inviting me. On of course. I'm so glad you finally it. got to meet Drew and some of our other friends. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll wrap up the official um podcast time here but in terms of people who yeah. are wanting to explore your work um yeah. and what you do where's the best place to to find you online or otherwise they can contact me directly by my website christiandevietri.com which yeah. we'll put a, a link to that people can yeah. easy click i love you mate yeah i love you too yeah thanks Jared, for this. thank this you so much fun. Yeah. Um, really nice to meet you, Drew. Yeah, Daniel. nice to meet you as well, Christian. This is good. Yeah. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.